Well, good morning. I've been looking around this morning as we've been singing, and uh, I think this may be one of the largest 930 service uh, gatherings, excuse me, we've had uh, since I've been here anyway. It's so good to have you here this morning. Uh, we do welcome you here to Pleasant City Church, and uh, we just hope this has been a blessing to you so far. And today we are continuing a series that we began, guess what, 15 weeks ago, a verse-by-verse study through 1 Thessalonians, and we, I've been told by the staff, I must finish this today, okay? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you'll go ahead and turn there, and also Genesis chapter 2. Now, what I'm about to do is finish up last week's sermon. So if you have last week's handout or you want to go to last week's uh, sermon on your app, however you do that, you're welcome to join me there. Uh, But I'm going to go very quickly through the end of last week's sermon to finish it up, and then we'll jump into today's sermon. So uh, last week, we began this whole idea with the, the sermon series Flourish, and we were literally in part two when we're talking about when living in truth. And of course, two weeks ago, I talked about being joyful, uh, that we've been commanded to be joyful. It's not a suggestion. It's not just something where the Bible and Paul was saying, you know, it sure would be great if you just be joyful. No, it's literally a command in scripture. And then right after that, we have this idea of being prayer, prayerful and then being thankful and then be responsive. And that today I must finish, this is the last point of that, be discerning. And that whole idea of moving from evil to good. Now, what does that process look like? Well, first of all, you need to examine what is before us, or we need to examine what is before us. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul writes in this chain of commands, test all things. Now, what are we testing? What what does that even look like? What are we doing here? Well, we're looking to test to see if something is authentic, uh, if it is of value, to see if there is error, to see if we are deceived maybe in some area of our life. Now, what does it say? Look, look carefully at verse 21, the beginning. We are to examine our test. Look at that, that little phrase there. All things, all things. I mean, think about that. Everything that we come in contact with. Now, think about how difficult that must be in our day and age. We are bombarded with so many different messages, probably more than any other people who's ever lived on the face of the earth. And yet, in God's word, we're literally told to test all things. Now, this command implies that everything in this life is capable of bringing deception into our lives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Every, that means everything has a potential, when it says test all things, to bring some type of deception in our lives. So, so think about this. Where could some of the deception be born from or born out of? It can be born out of our emotions. How many of you have had emotions lead you astray before? How many of you have had feelings lead you astray? Yet it seems that the world is constantly telling us to just trust our feelings. Let me tell you, the Bible does not give us that. The Bible says to test all things. The Bible says to make sure that things are right and what they and they're not deceptive. And we see all these things, and then we are not to really trust our desires. You know, the Bible is very clear on that one. I don't know about you, but my flesh can lead me astray very quickly. It can, and it can you too. And then, of course, we're not to trust, I believe, our flesh. So we're to examine what is before us. Second of all, we are to embrace what is good. So look at the second part of verse 21. Hold fast to what is good. 
Now that word hold fast, I think sometimes we just kind of read over it in scripture, but it literally means to cling to. But it's more than that. It's really more like clinging to like your life depends on it. That's really the wording that's there. How many of you ever, I mean, we've been seeing the, the news of the hurricane and all these images that are out there. And there was one image that I saw that I've seen many times when water is moving fast. But how many of you have seen people during these times where flooding is taking place and they're holding on to some kind of uh, a stake or something and they're holding on for dear life? That's the same word that we find here. To hold on as if your life depends on it. What are we holding on to? We're, we're holding on to what is good. What is good? You know what's interesting? The Bible literally says we should take on the attributes of God himself. And, and then when Jesus comes on the scene, it says, well, look at him and you see God take on his attributes. In several places in scripture, it says, you be holy for God is holy. But did you know it also says that God is good? And as a result of the fact that God is good, we are told that we are to pursue those things that are good. What is true, what is noble, what is right. So thirdly, we're not only to examine what is before us, we're to embrace, embrace what is good, but we're also called in verse 22 to evade and escape what is evil. Now I put those two words in there because I believe that is something, to me, they're different things here that we're dealing with. Look at verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, how many of you could look at the world we live in and think of all the images we come across and all we have to do is click a button and what can we have before us now? We can have evil right there in front of us, can't we? All you gotta do is click a button. I don't think, as I said earlier, I don't think any other generation has had so much at their fingertips. And in many times, that can be a good thing. How many of you agree with that? Yeah, it can be a good thing. But sometimes, let's face it, it's very easy to fall in to that idea of evil. And I mean, all you gotta do is click on it and it's right there in front of you. And so basically, he's talking about abstain. To abstain, there's two ideas that are here. It could mean hold oneself away. That means you're staying away. You're evading it. You're not putting yourself in the path of it. You see, so many times in my life, I don't know about yours, there's times that I've fallen into evil because I was on the path to evil. You know what I'm talking about? And before we start thinking about this idea of evil and, and, and setting that aside just for what we would call serial killers or whatever, y'all, we're all capable of evil. And the Bible says it. Not just to equate serial killers, but any form of it. He says to abstain from every form of it, whatever it takes on. But there's more than just that idea of evading and staying off the path. There's times we're called to escape from it. How many of you have ever had evil just show up? You ever had that happen? You remember Joseph of the Old Testament? You remember Potiphar's wife? She just showed up. She sprang herself upon him. And the Bible says that he ran so fast that he left his cloak with her. I don't have to tell you what she was after, but you know something? He was fleeing that form of evil. And so when it comes to this idea of abstaining from every form of evil, there's an aspect of evading it and there's an aspect of escaping it. But then let's look at what evil is. What is evil? Well, guess what? It can be anything that brings harm to you. That can be evil. 
You know, so many times I've, tell you, I, I'll tell, I've told you that, that God's commands are, are not there to keep us from something that, and, and all those things. God's commands are to protect you and to provide for you. So many times we don't think it that way, do we? We think he's keeping something from us. We think he just doesn't want us to enjoy life. No, when he puts those things out there, he's basically saying, hey, to stay away from evil, to stay on the right path. Hey, these things can be harmful to you. But another part of this idea of evil is doing something that does not please God. Just something that's not dis that's pleasing to God. And then he uses this phrase, every form. It can come about through behaviors. Evil can come about through our attitudes. How many times you ever been around someone that had an evil attitude? You ever seen that? Occasionally I have that on the golf course, to be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I've told you many times, I don't throw clubs, I release clubs. Um, but I've seen some pastors around here throw clubs, so just to be honest with you. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but it is that whole idea that sometimes we are to, to, to keep our attitudes, to keep our reactions, to keep our behaviors, even our influences. And we are to pay attention to those false teachings that may be out there. He says, stay away from every form of those things. And so now in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we have finished up these bullet point commands that Paul gives us. And so now I want us to move to this idea to flourish when you are made whole. Did you know that the Bible says that in Christ, we can be made whole? Now think about that. That means we can be made complete. That means we can live, listen, this is important because this is where the world misses it. We can live in such a way that we can feel fulfilled with no void and no vacuum. It is possible to get there if we're in Christ. And I'm gonna prove that to you this morning. So look at the introduction on the outline this morning. Paul ends his epistle with a prayer. So let's look at verse 23 of chapter five. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That means he's gonna set you apart and he's gonna complete something in you. And, that you, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, so he begins with a prayer. He moves on now, look on your outline, to a promise. Verse 24, he says, he who calls you, he who brings you into salvation is faithful who will also do it. He'll do it. You know what that means? He's gonna finish whatever he started in you. There's several places in scripture to actually say that. And then he ends this whole idea with a plea, a plea. Look at verse 25. Brethren, pray for us. Now, who is he, who's he talking about? Well, at the very beginning of this letter, he says that Silas and Timothy are with him. And he's writing this letter while he's in Corinth. And he's been there for some time. So he's writing to this church at Thessalonica. He's saying, pray for us. Pray for the work that's happening here in Thessalonica, uh, here in Corinth. And then he says this, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, how many of you are so thankful Christian didn't get up here this morning and say, give everyone a kiss this morning and tell them you're, that they're welcome here. And now, now, some of you might say, well, it does say that, so... Well, just be careful, okay? <laughs> we need to be careful with that. But, but he's talking about this whole idea of, of welcoming and, and being inviting. And in verse 27, he says, I charge you 
by the Lord that this epistle or this letter be read to all the brethren, all those who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then he says in verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, what I want to focus on this morning is the prayer that he, he's, at, he's basically praying for us. And it's found in verse 23. That will be our focus this morning. Now, this is a prayer for total and complete sanctification. Now, some of you are like, that word, I hear it all the time, but I can't get my mind around it. What it literally means is God is bringing you from something to something. That's literally what the word means. And it's literally a transformation that should be going on in your life now that you're a believer in Christ. And, and so this transformation is what he's talking about. But in verse 23, he, he puts it in a light that sometimes are, it's not said this way. He's basically saying what should be transformed, what should be going from something to something closer to God is found in your body and your soul and your spirit. All three need proper attention and care. Did you know that? How many of you are fully aware that your body needs care? How many of you, when you were younger, you could eat anything and it didn't bother you whatsoever? And then all of a sudden the 40s shows up and all of a sudden you're burping up. I know that sounds nasty, but <laughs> there's things going on that you're like, what is happening to me? You remember those days? And then you get in your 50s and your body just don't want any. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like what's happening? All these changes. But we do. We, we know. We're fully aware. We have to take care of our bodies. And some of you take that very seriously. But did you know that we're also called to take care of our souls and to take care of our spirit? You see, when it says that we're made up of three parts, this is contrary to what we call modern psychology. Secular psychology says that we're made up of really only two parts, a body and they would call the mind or the soul. So modern psychology looks at the solution for a person's trouble in only the physical realm or the intellectual realm or the emotional realm. Most of psychology, well, everything that's secular never talks about the spiritual realm. And that's the part that is key to the fulfillment that we can have as an individual. So much of, much of psychology is built around the work, so many of you have heard him, of him, Sigmund Freud. Many of you have heard him, maybe you've studied him. Freud was, a, was an atheist who was hostile to the Christian faith. He took the view that the solutions to our problems are found in things that transpired either in our past which would be our soul, or through a person's sexual nature, which would be the body. And so he basically said, our problems will come from one of those areas. Now, his therapy, his solution to a person's problem, their greatest need was something called self-gratification. And here's what he said. He said, first of all, you find out what you want, and then secondly, you can hear the harm here, soften your conscience so that whatever you do will be acceptable to you. And then thirdly, pursue what you want. How many of you are seeing that today? We see it everywhere. 
And the deception follows one after another. You can see this is totally different than the biblical uh, idea, uh, way of dealing with our issues. So much of modern psychology finds its solution to our problems through Freud and his theories. Freud, along with others, helped shift our society from the authority of biblical absolutes to an atheistic, humanistic, and evolutionary theories. And so what we find here is that something began to shift uh, back, in, uh, back in the 1800s. Some people say it even started back in the 1700s. And the shift has gone on. And we're seeing the fruit of the shifts in our day today. We're seeing it. This is why modern psychology cannot address our deepest needs, our deepest issues. However, the Bible paints a different view of how to address our problems. Now, let me just say this. I do believe, just like God has brought truth to doctors to help know how to take care of our bodies. How many of you believe that? You know that, right? How many of you had surgery lately? I mean, you go in. I mean, they, they, there's, there's not a, a manual for surgery in Scripture. But, but there's a way that doctors have learned to take care of our bodies, and, and that's a good thing. I think some, not very little, however, I think some psychology can do the same thing. I think there's some things that can actually help us that they've discovered that I believe is from God anyway, just learning how we're made up. They discover that and they try to meet that need. So I, agree, I, I think there can be answers there. But I think most of the time, we're just looking to those two things when there's a third part that's equally and probably even more valuable than addressing the body and the soul. And it's found in the spirit. So look on your outline. You are made up of a trinity. You're made up of a trinity. I hope you turn to Genesis 2. We're going to look at something very quickly. The Bible records that we're made up in the image of God. Now, many have debated what this means. One thing that it could mean is that just like God that God, that we are made up or we have a threefold nature. Of course, we know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's, it seems to be that we also have a threefold nature and it's called the body, soul, and spirit. Now, here's what we need to understand about it. It's flawed. Something happened a long time ago that flawed everything about us. Let me tell you what happened when sin entered the world, Okay. Our body and our soul, soul were severely flawed. Let me tell you this, it gets worse. The Bible literally says that our spirit died. Our spirit died. And for us who have been born since that point on have been awaiting the birth or what we call the second birth of our spiritual being coming alive. That's the way the New Testament presents that. And I'll show you what I mean in just a moment. But something happened. We were made up of a trinity. So, so the first question we must ask is, how did God put us together? Look at Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now, many people believe from this passage that we can find, up, find the idea of body, soul, and spirit. And many would say from the ground, we have the body and the soul. And the fact that God breathed into us brings about the spirit. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 seems to, conform, to, to confirm this. What does he say? 
Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely to the point that you're, there's no void in your life, that everything is complete. And may you, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless how? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That when he comes back, the completeness will be finished at that time. And we'll talk about what that means in just a moment. But the sanctification process continues in us and it ends in one or two ways. Either when we die and go to heaven, okay? Or when Jesus comes back, okay? And so that's when it happens. So look on your outline. You're made up of a trinity, the body. What do we know about the body? We see its awareness. Its awareness is the world. Now think about it. The body is here. I mean, we can see each other. I can see your bodies. I can't see your soul. Now, now I can see, maybe I can see a little bit of your soul as we begin to know each other and learn from each other. I can see a part of that, but, but I can't see your soul, okay? But I can see your body. So it's satisfaction. The, the body's satisfaction is food and air. So there's some things that are there that they're, and basically what I'm talking about is desires, okay? Food and air. Now the body is how we relate to the world with our five, five senses. We see, we hear, we smell, we touch, and we taste. Now, if you break down the components that make up the body, you will find that it could be constructed, constructed rather inexpensively. Have you, ever, have you ever read about that? That really the body is made up of certain things and when you break it all down, it's, very, it's not very valuable, okay? But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible literally says that our bodies have great value and can have great use. Now, how does that happen? Well, God's given us a computer. Do you know your brain is a computer? Now, some of you are sitting there like, I figured something was wrong. I can't fix a computer and I can't seem to fix my brain. <laughs> but, but, but your brain, it, it operates like a computer. You have a transmitter, your voice a receiver, your ears, a camera, your eyes. All of this in one unit we call the body. So we have a body, a, a physical nature. Now, let me tell you this about the three parts of who you are. The body is the lowest part of your existence. Did you know that? Isn't it amazing how we spend so much time and effort on the lowest part of our existence? Now, I think we should eat healthy. I think we should be as healthy as we can be. But it's amazing how far some of us carry it, isn't it? And, and, and when you look at it all and you say, you know, some, look at all the attention. If we took that same attention that we put on the body and we put it into our spirit, even the, the inner workings of our soul, you think that would make a difference in us? Most definitely. Did you know when it comes to our body, and I hate to tell you this, we're fighting a losing battle. You know that, right? I'm looking at some of you. I, I, I've, I, <laughs> I've been around here 30 years. I've seen a lot of changes, okay? And, and, and we're fighting a losing battle, but it's amazing how we, we put so much time and effort and energy in the lowest part of our existence. Next, we not only have the body, we have the soul, and its awareness is self. Its awareness is self. It's satisfaction. Let me tell you what happens there. There's the learning for the mind. There's the affection for the emotions. And there's the activity for the will. 
Someone has said the soul is the go-between between the body and the spirit. The soul reaches towards the body and reaches towards the spirit. Therefore, some have said that it seems to be that our soul can be the mediator between the body, which we call the flesh, right? That's what Paul refers to in, in, in Romans, and the spirit. And so we see that, that there's the second part. But then there's the third part, the spirit. It's the highest level of our existence, the highest level. But yet many people who profess to be in the spirit or, or to come to the terms that God has set forth through the, through, through the Holy Spirit working in us, bringing us to life in God through Jesus Christ. It's amazing how that seems to be the smallest effort that we make when it comes to our existence. And that's, that's the problem for many of us. That's the reason there's many Christians that are out there and they, they believe they, they've done everything that's required of God to, 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 to basically come to a point in their life where they've understood that their sin has separated them from God and, and they've made those connections in such a way that they've reached out and asked for forgiveness. They've repented and they begin to move in their, in their spirit and there's things that happen, but yet nothing really happens anymore. Just that initial part. Many doubt that God even did a work sometimes. And so there's so much, many things there, but look, at, look on your outline, the spirit. It's aware, its awareness is God himself. That's its awareness. Its satisfaction is God. Nothing else can feel that in the spirit. So God can only satisfy the highest level of our existence. However, this level of awareness and satisfaction is not experienced by most of us who live, who, who claim we are believers in Christ. Now, here, here's what's so sad about our world. Many don't really know who they are, where they came from, where they're going, and why they're here. How many of you are noticing that in conversations? How many of you have had conversations with maybe some of your children or your grandchildren or your neighbor and you find out they just don't have answers to these. Can I tell you something? The body and the soul is not going to answer these questions. Only the spirit can answer these questions. You say, well, how can you be so assured of that? Because I take, my, I take building my life on the word of God. And the word of God tells me that those things are only found in Christ. The answers, their satisfaction are only found in Christ. So someone has said that a person is a trinity and therefore a person being a triangle cannot be satisfied by a round world. Now that may sound cheesy, but there's some truth to it. We're made up of a triangle and we're seeking to look at a round world to bring our satisfaction and answer the deepest needs of our lives. Only a triune God can satisfy the deepest parts of a triune person. Now, we're not only made up of a trinity, you were born in tragedy. I mean, think about that. We were made with the potential to be trinity, a trinity, body, soul, and spirit, the potential I said, and yet we're born in tragedy. Have you ever thought about that? Born in tragedy. What happened? Look at Genesis chapter two, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God command, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I want you to skip over to verse 10 of chapter 3. So he said, this is Adam, God's come into the garden Every day, they seem to have a standing appointment if you read the text, every day. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he says, I heard, Adam says, God, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So therefore, I hid myself. There, there's something that has happened between what God has laid out. Adam, don't partake of this. Don't do this. And Adam is now hiding from God. I've used this story many times, but how many of you, when you were a kid, your dad told you not to do something and you did it? And maybe he was away at work and your mom told you what? When your dad gets home. How many of you remember those words? How many of you just couldn't wait? How many of you just, when, when you knew it was time for dad to be there, you, you just met him at the door? Did you? No, some of you are under bed, I guarantee you. I, I, <laughs> some of you, can I spend the night at Susie's house, right? I mean, I mean, you just want to get away. The same thing's going on here. There's something that's happened. And, and all of a sudden, we're starting to see there's some things that have shifted in this relationship. Look at verse 16. God begins to pass out judgments. He says to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. He's basically describing something that should be a beautiful moment. A beautiful moment is when a child comes into the world. Just two weeks ago, Waverly over here came into the world. Pain-free, right? No, okay, no. <laughs> and what's interesting, he basically says there's gonna be strife in the most intimate of all human relationships, doesn't he? Doesn't he say that? It, it basically, when you read the wording here, it says, you shall desire to be for your husband and he shall rule over you. We, we see it, it's, it's pointing to conflict. We're all going to want our own way. Things have changed now. Then it goes to verse 17 to Adam. He said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. And <laughs> isn't that interesting? <laughs> because you listened to your wife. No, I'm just kidding. No. There's times I needed to listen to my wife. Okay, all right. But he said, and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the her herb of the field. And in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. How many of you are like, man, that sounds like I want to sign up for that? But that's what happened. Something happened. And from that point on, you know what happened? Every person since then was born in tragedy. How many of you look at that and think, man, that is the most, that is a somber story. It's the reality. It's reality. And for those of you who come to a relationship in Jesus Christ, you know what? We, we come to that awareness. The people who have been discipled in Christ, the people who have learned the voice of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our life, you know, it doesn't take us long to look back and say, you know, the Bible's right. We were born in tragedy. 
for those of us who really know. And for the others, many are in deception. And so this voice, these verses speak of dysfunction. And so when I hear people say, I was born in a dysfunctional family, guess what? We all were. We all were. Every area of our bodies, of our being, excuse me, has been damaged by sin. Romans 5, 12, look here. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Not only were we born in sin, we sinned and basically admitted when we sinned, we admitted that we were born in tragedy. And then it says this, for all have sinned. All have a sin nature and come short of the glory of God. So let's look at this carefully. You're born in tragedy, the fallout. Look on your outline, the fallout. We see it's damaged, the body. And from that, we see weakness, weakness and disease. And then you could put even eventual death. Apart from Jesus Christ showing up one day, our body, as it said in Genesis, will return to the ground. The weaknesses of the body, the diseases that can come upon the body will eventually lead to death. How many of you are encouraged about this sermon so far today? <laughs> but that's what we're reading here. The soul, what happened to the soul when, it, when we fell? Where there was the blindness of the mind, we were blinded. And then we had the deception of the emotions, the misguidance of the will. All these things begin to break down. How many of you look in our world today and you see these things? There seems to be a blindness out there. There seems to be things that are so obvious that need to be addressed that we're not even looking at her. It's just amazing. But here's the worst part of it all. Look on your outline, the spirit. Do you know what happened? It died or it's dead. The Bible says, listen to what it says in chapter three. The day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. Do you know what's interesting about Adam and Eve both? They didn't die the day they ate of the tree. They lived for hundreds of years later. So what died? The spirit died. And for every person who was born after that, here's what we learn from that. Here's what we see as it falls. Every person born after that, they started it all. Every person born after that, here's what happened. They were born with a damaged body and a damaged soul and a dead spirit. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that modern or secular psychology only deals with what? The soul and the spirit. They don't acknowledge the spirit, I mean, the, I'm sorry, the body and the soul. They don't acknowledge the spirit. You know why? Because it's dead to them. I mean, I hate to say that. Now, are there good Christian psychologists? Absolutely, and praise God for them. But they don't operate from the same premise as secular psychology. They see something different. I'll, I'll show you that in just a moment. So, I mean, you think about this. So at the fall, body, soul, dysfunctional, damaged. Spirit, dead. I mean, that's terrible when you think about it. So the fallout, next we see the failure and we see its assumptions. You see, here's what we need to understand. We are incapable of solving our basic problem. How many of you agree with that? The Bible says that you better agree with it. Our basic need, the very foundational need that we have is that we're all sinners and there ain't nothing we can do about it, right? Psychology tries, uh, tries but its basic assumptions are wrong. I was shocked. I minored in psychology. 
And I was shocked to see that the whole premise of psychology, secular psychology, is built on evolution. Isn't that amazing? What's that core of evolution? We came from animals. We came from animals. We weren't created as in the image of God. We weren't created perfectly in the very beginning where there was a vibrant body, soul, and spirit that was alive and working toward God. And then there was a fall. No, we, we, we were animals one day. Think about that. Modern or secular psychology looks low and says that we came from animals. The Bible looks high and says that we came from God. So if you look, downward to animals to understand your being and your existence, you come to one conclusion. But if you looked upward to God to understand your being and your existence, you come to a completely different conclusion. It's assumptions. It's looking down instead of upward. Look on your outline. We are good in and of ourselves. You you could look at it like this. Look how far we've come, baby. We were apes and look at us now. Out of that's born that idea. I'm not so bad. How many of you ever witnessed to somebody and told them about the love of Jesus and how God wants to save them from their sin and they look at you? I'm not so bad. You know what they're saying? I don't need saving. Second of all, we are acceptable in and of ourselves. This basically says we can build our own self-worth. Thirdly, we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We don't need anyone. We can take care of ourselves. The only problem is they don't realize that the whole core of who they are is not even alive. Body and soul, it's all they're dwelling on. It's all they see. The Bible's Bible's clear and says that the spirit's dead until those who come to Christ. The Bible says that he quickens us. He brings the, the, the spirit to life. Bottom line, only God can deal with our failure and the fallout from from that failure. So quickly, you may be born in tragedy, but you can become a trophy. Did you know that? I mean, think about that. We, I mean, body and soul, damaged. I mean, think about that. Spirit, dead. And yet, somehow, we can be a trophy of God. Let's look at it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You are not sufficient in anything that you could do. You couldn't do anything about your situation. You couldn't raise yourself up. You couldn't become good enough. I mean, there's nothing you could have done. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. No one's going to be in heaven and saying, God had no choice. He had to choose me. No one. For we are his workmanship. You know what that literally means? His masterpiece. Blows my mind. But how did it come about? Oh, it was created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what do we have here? We can become a trophy. How does it come about? Look on your outline, through salvation. It is a moment that changes the spirit, the soul, and the body. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 1, it says this, and God, he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. He did something about the dysfunction about your body and your soul. It was hopeless. You couldn't have done anything about it, but he did something about it. And it even says that, that he made you alive. What does that mean? That means that the the, the spirit that was dead in you is now alive. 
But then there's a sanctif- there's the idea of sanctification. It's a process that changes spirit, soul, and body. You see, when a person is saved, listen, they bring much of their baggage from the old life. How many of you are aware of that? How many of you were perfect after you prayed to receive Christ? No, you weren't. You were, you were pretty messed up. But you know something? Everything changed. How many of you realize that? Doesn't mean you were perfect, but things changed. You never saw your sin the same way any, any, anymore. You, you, you couldn't sin and think, man, feeling pretty good about where I am now. Holy Spirit wouldn't allow you to do that. And if you're out there living your life exactly the way you used to live your life and you say you prayed a prayer, you better second guess what really took place. Because the Bible says, think about it, body, soul, and spirit, severely damaged, spirit, dead, salvation, body, and soul has the potential for healing. And that is the sanctification. Healing can take place. But guess what? Even more important, the spirit awakens. Big deal. Trust me. When I was saved, I was eight years old. I'll never forget it. I believe it. Did I make mistakes? I did make mistakes. But I'm telling you, when I got saved, you may say, how would you really know as eight-year-old? I don't know. My spirit bear witness with his. Something happened in me as a little eight-year-old. Something changed. I was not perfect. I made mistakes. I, had, I made costly mistakes. But you know something? I was never satisfied under those mistakes. I was, guilt, shame, and all that plagued my life until I realized exactly what God did on my behalf. We have our issues, but there is this whole thing. So when we have a problem, we need to look into one of three areas. Look on the circles here. Here's what you have. You've got the body, the soul, and the spirit. See here? Now, the lowest level of our existence is which one? The body, okay? How much time and effort do we put into it? Quite a bit, don't we? I mean, how, how long did it take you to get ready this morning? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Soul seems to be kind of a mediator between the two, but look at the spirit here. How many of you, I'm just going to ask, I, I, I know I'm stepping on feet. How many of you prepared your spirit for this morning as much as you did your body? How many of you got with God and said, God, I have no idea what that guy's going to talk about. He says he's going to finish something. He probably won't. <laughs> but God, I need to hear from you today. There's a process you're doing in my life and I'm counting on you to complete it like you said you would. And God, I want you to point that out this morning. How much time did we spend there? This is the core of who we are now when we're in Christ and they all need attention. But the highest level of our existence is found in the spirit, found in the spirit. The world doesn't say it that way. A problem may consist of more than one of these issues. Some problems can be in the physical in nature, in the body. Some problems can be emotional in nature, the soul. Some problems are spiritual in the nature of the spirit. Have you ever thought about where depression comes from? I mean, think about where does it come from? Does it come from the body, the soul, and the spirit? It can come from each one of them. Did you know that? Do you know there can be things going on in you through the body that, that, that can be happening? There's some things that are not popping right in the mind. And there's some things there that it, it, bodily you can be suffering from depression. Did you know that? Did you know that you can work over here in the soul and find some of the same things that are there? It can happen there. But do you know where I believe a lot of depression comes from? When the spirit's not right. And let me tell you why I think that. God shows up. Adam and Eve, where are they at? hiding. 
They're depressed. You can call it wherever you want to. I've been depressed. You know you've been depressed? I'm not out there in the world saying, well, how's everything going? I just want to shut myself away. I want to withdraw. I want to get away. I'm convinced that many people who are dealing with depression, not all. Can it be body? Yes, it can. Can it be a soul issue? Yes, it can. But I'm convinced that many people, including myself, a lot of depression I deal with is I'm not right with God. There's a part of me that's not right. And there's a part of me that needs to be addressed. And part of my depression can be driven by my guilt and my shame. And until that's dealt with, it doesn't matter what pill you take. You see where I'm coming from? But don't leave here saying that's the only way. No, it can happen other ways. But that goes with us being in tune to who we are. The problem is most of us don't understand what's going on, the dynamic of who we are. And, and, and where do we find out where that information is? We find it from the word of God. When we go before the word of God, and we, it, it literally speaks to our soul and our spirit says this, this, and this. Turn to Romans chapter eight and I'll close. So we see salvation is becoming a part of Christ. Sanctification is becoming more like Christ. And then there's something called glorification. It is a moment that changes spirit, soul, and body. Y'all, this is the day you're looking for. Because the Bible says that salvation has come to our hearts. The Bible calls it justification, where I've been made right before God. I'm in right relationship with God. Sanctification is a process that's going on while I'm breathing, while this heart's beating. Uh, it's before I see Jesus face to face. All that's happening right now. He's making me more like Christ. He, he's doing something with this body, soul, and spirit. And it's growing in my spirit. But then there's going to come a day of glorification. And that's when I believe, based on scripture, when I see him face to face. My dysfunction at that moment, according to scripture, is gonna go completely. Now, can our dysfunction go before we get there? Yes, that's part of the sanctification. God wants to give you victory out from under your bondage and give you that freedom to walk in him and all that. But let's face it, some of us have been fighting that battle for all our lives. There's really no reason why it shouldn't be there, but that day he's gonna take care of it. Be some good stuff going on that day. But look at what happens. Romans chapter eight, and we're gonna close with this. Verse 14. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God, children of God, sisters and sons and daughters, however you wanna put it. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, not to go back to your old way, but you received the spirit adopt by, of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're in a whole new realm now. Uh, we don't see a God that's far, a God that's out there, a God that we're dysfunctional towards. Guess what? He's daddy now, all right? The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. There's gonna come a time where we're gonna be glorified together. And as we see Jesus, we shall be. Not that we're gonna become deity, but we'll be heirs of everything that he's, that's available to him. Yes. That's amazing when you think about it. But that's what's at the end of all this. So right now, what I wanna do is I just want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to contemplate something with me real quick before we dismiss. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about where you are today. I think everybody in this room would agree that bodily and in our soul, bodily and in our soul, there's something that's amiss. There's something that's dysfunctional. 
that if we only relied on those two, there's still a void. Maybe today, for the first time, you've come to understand that, as the Bible has said it, your spirit is dead. That Jesus Christ came to this world to, to take our tragedy and make us a trophy in him. And what he wants to do is save you today. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. Maybe you, you've often wondered about all the things you try to fill the void in your life with. If I just had more, if I just had this relationship, if this person would just get right, I feel like it would make me complete. No, you find that in the things of God, in the spirit. And until your spirit is made alive, you will never be truly who you should be. And that's only found in Christ. Second of all, some of you may um, realize that even though you're saved and there was a time where you knew your spirit was alive, that you're in need for some healing to take place in your life. Maybe instead of that prayer life that used to be there, maybe that joy that used to be there, that rejoicing and that forgiveness that came so easy. Maybe something has come into your life in such a way that you know there needs to be healing in your life. Maybe some of you came to realize today that you've been spending too much time at the lowest level of our existence with the body. And maybe you've been challenged here for the first time in a long time to really see what God wants to do through your spirit. And you haven't been feeding the spirit lately. You've been listening to all the messages around you you're prone to possible deception. And now you want to hear what God has to say to your heart. Are you going to discipline that time to hear from him? Father, we come to you now and I don't know what you're doing in this room. I sense you're doing something. The reason I know that is because your word's gone forth here today. And Father, I pray for that one that may be here today that before they leave this room, they would talk to myself or another pastor that they would say, you know something? I need to be made whole. Father, maybe there's a Christian in this room that looks at their life and they know they've given their heart to Jesus Christ, but they know there's some healing, boy, that really needs to take place in their life right now. I pray they'll find someone, whether it's a pastor or just someone they trust to say, will you pray for me? I want God to do a fresh work in my life. Father, we just pray that you continue to work in our lives, not, not just while we're sitting in a room like this, but when we go home, help us not to just tune it out with a TV show or some sporting event, but to just really ponder and meditate on what you've shown us here today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.